My favorite preacher, Barbara Brown Taylor, tells in one of her sermons about an interview that she read once with the Southern novelist Reynolds Price. In the interview, Price, who is a Christian, is asked why he does not attend church. Part of it, he says, is a disillusionment dating from the civil rights era when the white Southern Christian church behaved about as badly as possible. But, well, that's not the only reason, he said. The few times I've gone to church in recent years, I'm immediately asked if I will coach the church Little League team or give a talk on Wednesday night or come to the men's bell ringing class on Sunday afternoon. Church has become a full-service entertainment facility. It ought to be the place where God lives. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been imagining the people of God. We've talked about imagination last week, transformation, and today we have this strange word, fruition. Not a word we say a whole lot. In some ways, you can track the journey that we've been on to that of planting a garden. Before you ever begin the garden, you must first imagine it. Where will you plant it? When will you plant it? What will you plant Will it receive enough sun, shelter from the rain and the elements? First, you must imagine the garden. And then, well, then the work begins, right? The transformation of the ground. You've got to pull some weeds, till the soil, plant seeds in neat little rows. You've got to water it. Then you've got to return to it and water it again and pull some more weeds again. You've got to keep the rabbits away and the birds away. You work and you work and you work until the soil begins to transform. The seeds become plants. The plants produce fruit. And then, well, then the harvest season comes. The garden is done. The goal has been met. The seed has come to fruition. And it's time to eat what you have grown. Now, I've given you a primer, Tim. Go out and replicate this next season. But that's how it is. When we imagine the people of God, sometimes it helps to imagine other things that we do in life. There are times where we sit together and we imagine what we could be as a church. We imagine ministries that we could do. We dream of new ways of being discipled together. But we don't just sit and dream. We become. We transform. We change ourselves. We become better people. We get rid of, pull out things that need to be gone and take up things that we need to have so that we can become more and more like Christ. But it doesn't just stop there. Often our Christian lives, we just stop with the transformation of ourselves. But there's more. There's fruit to be produced. What we imagine, then we become transformed into so that then we can become a harvest in the world to share the fruit of God's spirit with all around us. From imagination to transformation to fruition, this is the full life of the people of God. As we've taken this three-week journey, we've been in the book of Ephesians. We've bounced all around, and now that we're at the end, we're back at the beginning of Ephesians. And the beginning begins kind of like we end things. It begins with a prayer. And it's really quite a prayer. The writer prays that our eyes be opened, enlightened, so that we can see behind the curtain of the physical world, peer through the keyhole of time, and see the immeasurable greatness of God's power at work in the world, but not just in the world. 
God's power at work in us. The prayer says God put this same immeasurably great power at work in Christ when he raised Christ from the dead, seated Christ at the right hand in the heavenly places, and God put all things under Christ's feet, making him the head over all things for the church, which is Christ's body. The church is Christ's body, the fullness of all that Jesus is. That is what we are, Christ who fills all and is in all. God fills up Christ with his power, and Christ fills up us with his power, and we make the world full with Christ's power. Or as my favorite preacher, Barbara Brown Taylor, imagined it, it's a lot like a four-tier fountain where at the top, God's glory is filled up and it flows out into Christ and Christ's glory fills up and flows out into the church and the church's glory fills up and pours out into streams that fill up and drench the whole universe. In other words, the church, the church at work in the world is God's harvest. This is what God has been doing, God's plan. We are the fullness of God, the fruition of God's work. When God imagined a people, God imagined us. Christ was sent into our world to transform us so that we could become church, God's harvest, sent into the world to change the world. If we ever need a self-esteem boost, church, read this prayer. This is who we are. And yet often we get sidetracked from that truth, from our reality. We forget why we exist. We focus on what we lack and what we're not and forget who we really are. We get caught up in the details and on the means and forget the mission. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we often get sidetracked and think that our goal is to put on a worship experience, to entertain children, to keep our teenagers in line, to serve coffee and cookies, to have movie nights, to host outside groups, to use our building, and to collect money and serve for good causes. Now, these are all great things, but at the end of the day, if this is all we are about as church, how are we any different than any other great service organization in our community. Why do we exist? Well, we ought to be the place where God lives. That's why the writer prays that the eyes of our hearts be enlightened, that we will have opened eyes to see who we really are, that we are the people of God, and that God's power, all God's power, is working within us. And through us, God is able to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. Far more than cookies or coffee or movie nights or service nights. Through us, God is filling the world. And it's not that these things are wrong. They're wonderful. Our life together is a beautiful thing. And the cookies and the baked goods are straight from heaven. I mean, I am full from from the 8.30 spread, and there's more to come. But this is not why we exist. This is not our goal. It's all part of the transformation, but not the fruition. When the fruition of God's plan comes, we begin to see people turning their lives to Christ. When people begin to find hope again, then that is when the harvest comes. When our community begins to look and act more justly. When people who have no home find home. 
When we go out from these walls and plant gardens of love all around our community, this is what it looks like when God's vision becomes fruition and we are the people of God. Now, right now in our church life, we've had about six weeks of a little disorientation as we've been working toward trying something new, a new worship time. I forgot to announce it earlier, but next week, 9 o'clock Sunday school, worship at 10. It's a little different, something new. With all things new, well, it takes some getting used to. But I think it's been good for us. Like like soil, you got to mess things up sometimes to grow something new. A little disorientation makes us find our way again. We've had to think about our life together more intentionally, re-examine our reasons for being church together, why we're a part of this church. Are we here simply to gather, to sing, to worship at a certain time, to meet friends, or are we here to meet God and be transformed by God? And the truth is, it doesn't matter when we gather at 8 or 8.30 or 10 or 10.30 or Sunday morning or Sunday evening or Saturday evening or Wednesday evening or whenever Christians gather, when they gather, God gathers with them. God always shows up. And when God's people gather, God is there in the midst of them. And week after week, God stands in the pulpit and preaches to God's people. Well, really, it's more of a prayer. And God says, I pray that you come to know, that you come to know me, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know the hope to which I have called you, that you may know the immeasurable greatness that is at work within you, the power that's available for you who believe. And God prays for us that our eyes be open to see God pouring all of his life into Christ and Christ's power being poured out into us so that we may pour this cosmic power into our, over, our, our needed and empty world. Next week is the first Sunday of Advent, which is the beginning of the Christian year, which means today is the end of the year. This Sunday has been, come to know, been, been known traditionally as Christ our King Sunday, a Sunday when we remind ourselves that though there are many rulers and loyalties in our lives and our lands, that our King is Christ. We're a part of a kingdom that's built not by human hands. Our calling as a church is not to make this kingdom on earth a greater reality, but to make God's kingdom on earth, to build up God's mission in our world. And maybe you've watched the news lately. Our world needs God's kingdom to come. There are too many gardens of hate and injustice being planted, too many walls being imagined, too many closed doors and closed tables. Our world needs God, the people of God, bold and ready, bringing to fruition God's vision of the beloved community. May our eyes be opened to that truth, our truth, that we are a church alive and full with God's power. God is changing us so that we can change our world. Or as we pray every Sunday, may God's kingdom come. May God's will be brought to fruition on earth and in our lives as it is in heaven. Amen? Amen. Amen. As we come again to the table of Christ. We'll sing the song we learned a few weeks ago on page four and five of your bulletin. Imagine the people of God. Mm-hmm.